Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell going to freeze. Wait. (laughs) Tonight at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is. It's Taco Tuesday. Welcome to the Points in the Paint podcast presented by Stadium. We're finally in August. NBA basketball is going full swing in the bubble. Ben Wittenstein with you. Zach Badgerhouse with you too. And we are psyched to talk NBA basketball. We finally, Zach, have games to talk about. We've got real action, real meaningful games that actually affect the standings. And in the... Google Doc that we make to talk about and set up everything we're going to talk about in the episode. The number one thing you wanted to talk about wasn't the games, it was the (laughs) officiating. The big three. Yeah, I'm not too happy. I'm very upset with how poorly the officiating has really been being over the course of these last, uh, what, three days now since we've had like regular season basketball back for the NBA bubble. And the officiating has been out. Like, it's been ridiculous. Like, it's been ridiculous like pull up the demarcus cousins at like ridiculous like it's it's been flat out ridiculous just it's insane how poorly officiating it's been like the calls and the amount of calls that certain players get and it's just been insane like to watch james harden or luka Doncic get 10 free throws in the first half of an nba game the first half and if you're not watching these games like don't talk to me. Like if you're not watching these basketball games, do not talk to me about James Harden or or Luka Doncic or anyone else that's out here getting excessive amount of foul calls and getting to the charity strike of absurdly amount of times even before the first half even ends. Like if you're not watching these games to see how everything unfolds, to see James Harden travels and come down with a Euro step and then still get the foul call after he's made the layup. Like if you if you're not watching these games to see those type of plays take place or to see a Luka Doncic take a step back three and he may or may not have gotten touched to get the foul call. But then on the other end, the same next possession for the other team, the same play happens and it's not a foul call, the same type of motion and everything. And the same thing happened in the, in the Houston Rocket game versus Milwaukee too. White, uh, white Dante, Dante DiVincenzo. He comes down, shoots a three, gets fouled, doesn't get the call. James Harden comes down, step back three. He misses, gets three free throws, Ben. Like, why does that even, why does that take place? So I'm not happy. No, I'm not happy at all. And I even got some proof that I'm not tripping about these foul calls either. Yeah, there's actually some tangible evidence that 
there have been more calls in the bubble. And I don't think it's a secret how much we hate the Rockets and, and how they play for fouls. And even the Bucks in that Bucks Rockets game, which we'll talk about in a second, the Bucks were playing to get the foul as well. And it seems like more teams are kind of taking the playbook from James Harden where they're just playing to try to get that foul call. And we've been seeing an enormous amount of foul called on three point shots. And that, that seems to be rising. But if you talk about tangible statistics, just basically on how many fouls are called, not even if they're good or bad, someone counted up how long the first quarter has been taking in the bubble. And it is almost five more minutes than what the games were taking before the bubble. So first quarter pre bubble game, first quarters were taking about 25 minutes in the bubble. They're taking about 30 minutes and people have counted all these stats up. The athletic wrote a great article and I, about how many probably, fouls are being yep, called. Yep, and we're probably looking at the same article too oh, with, the, uh, with the athletic because I actually did a little subscription like you did for a week just so I can see this for proof. Like I know I'm not tripping about these foul calls that I've seen over the weekend. So you can definitely break it down to them, Ben. If you if we're looking at if we're looking at the same thing, you can definitely break it down to them. Yeah, and I, listen, I don't want to go too in the numbers because I can get boring, but the numbers they add up to just. So many more fouls, so many more free throws and so many more whistles being blown in these games. Now, there's some theories being thrown out there why that is the case. And I think a good reason that was brought up is because there are no fans. These officials can hear every little contact that is made between the players. And that may be the reason if they can hear the the slap of two players hitting each other, they're more likely to call a foul rather than, you know, if they were in a full stadium, they may not hear every little bump and hit that these players go against each other. Now that they can hear everything, they may be more inclined to call a foul and blow the whistle. Uh, but I don't really know of any other reason or any other strong reason why there's just more whistles happening. Yeah, they try to they try to throw that little cliche thing out there. Oh, there's no more fans, so the gym's quiet. You can hear the you can hear the collisions and it's gonna be loud. You're gonna hear the bumps and the slaps and damn that. Basketball is all about motion and you can see it all in motion. Like if I'm looking on a TV screen and I can see that James Harden doesn't get touched or if Wesley Matthews is literally dodging out of his way so he won't draw the so James Harden won't draw the foul by kicking his legs out or or nudging his body into the defender. He's doing everything of his ability not to get a foul called on him, Wesley Matthews, and he still gets the foul call like they got to be better. The referee and officiating has to be better in the NBA in this bubble as we move forward in these games. Yeah, and listen, I don't want to be the guy that hands it to the officials, but they are also, like the players, making that transition to getting used to basketball in the bubble and without fans and different environments and and things like that. So they do deserve a little bit of an adjustment period, but if these games start to be this closely officiated come playoff time, I mean, the games are going to be very tough to watch. It's going to be slower paced. The end of the games are going to just come to a crawl and be impossible to have any sort of rhythm to it. So hopefully they lay off the whistles a little bit because I'm very pro just letting them play the fewest, the fewer amount of whistles, the better. And you're not going to get that in like a James Harden game or even a Giannis game. But hopefully in general, these officials lay off the whistles a little bit more come playoff time. Hopefully, because as of right now in this NBA bubble, what has been 19 games so far, they've called on average 11 more fouls than they did before the NBA bubble started. So that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> so it is a problem. Better. <laughs> and if we're talking about fouls, this is the second point you wanted to make is let's talk about the Bucks and Rockets for a second from Sunday night, because I think this game kind of encapsulated 
not just, you know, the rivalry between the Rockets and the Bucks, but I think a lot of the themes that came out of the bubble this weekend was in that Rockets Bucks game, starting with the officiating where a lot of these players are just playing to get the foul. James Harden specifically is one of those guys. You see it multiple times shooting the three point shot, landing and then trying to fall with the contact to get that call. Uh, we see it with Giannis, too, who's apparently main source of offense right now is he's just lowering his shoulder and trying to truck his way to the basket, which the officials are calling more offensive fouls on him now. Um, so the officiating was an issue, but we also saw small ball and a little bit more of tall ball, three point shooting, bad defense. I think everything that encapsulates what we're going to see in this bubble was with that Bucks and Rockets game. Yeah, a lot of fouls, like you said, a lot of fouls being called, a lot of, a lot of shots being thrown up in the air, specifically in the, from the Houston Rockets. They shot 61 threes in a game. It <laughs> been 61. They were 21 for 61 from downtown. I believe they had 27 free throws, too, as well. And what's crazy, I think they only had like 22-point shot attempts. So I hope this ain't the style of basketball we're going to start seeing from other teams as, as a long with the Rockets because I can't take it. It's like pulling your eyes out to just see guys jack up shots. And some of the shots are bad shots. And to see P.J. Tucker playing center and he's going like one to seven from downtown, that's not good. But like you said, there's this may be something where we see from the other, other teams in the NBA because Jason Tatum's first game was poorly. He was only three of 18 or something like that in his first outing when they returned from the bubble. But he bounced back pretty well in his second game. But, like, yeah, it's been pretty tough to really see from other teams and how they've been playing and stuff. And I'm still trying to wait and see what we're going to see from our Denver Nugget team, too. Yeah, the Denver Nuggets are an interesting team, especially with their injuries. Um, and and I think the West and and the East, especially the East now after watching that Bucks game against the Rockets, I think the East is a little bit more open well, than we probably expected. Especially now that I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overreact to the Bucks-Rockets one game, but... It seems to me that the Bucks do have an issue late in games. If it's close, they do have an issue executing. They struggle with turnovers and they struggle with Giannis just being the only guy with the ball at the end of the game because he can struggle getting to the basket sometimes. So the Bucks look beatable. Toronto looks really good. The Celtics are kind of that wild card team that if they have Kemba for the long run and he's not on a, a minutes restriction and they have Tatum playing well, they could be a really dangerous team. So I think the East is a lot more open than people may expect. Well, I know uh, Philly won't be involved, or Philly may not be involved, and we'll get in. We'll get into that later. I like the offensive efficiency with the uh, Boston Celtics after they uh, struggled the first game. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Look, I don't know if we had this conversation being, but I feel like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum will be what Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady was supposed to be. I don't know if we had that conversation, but. That's something that I've been keeping my eye on and something that I hope that really flourishes out and be successful for Brown and, uh, and Tatum. Cause I think I they like can really do something. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. I listen, I, I'm not a Celtics fan. I do not like Boston. <laughs> I do not like the Boston Celtics, but I love the players that they have on that team, which is an inner issue for me. Cause I love Kemba. I love Tatum. Brown is a fun player as well. And to see them all succeed like this Brown and Tatum, it is amazing the steps they've taken the last two years to become the players that they are. Yeah. And if all three of those players are playing at the top of their game, the Celtics are a very tough team to beat. Now I want to get into the biggest takeaways that we had from the last four days of games, four and a half days of games, since there's games going on right now, it's big fan of these afternoon NBA games, but 
the Bucks looking beatable was one of the takeaways that I had. I, I think they were a beatable team. I, they're still the favorite to me, but there are definitely teams in the East that I think with the right amount of defense and with the right amount of pressure, I think could beat the Bucks. And then the other takeaway is for me, I don't think there's a clear favorite for the title. The, the Lakers look beatable, especially when LeBron's not on the court. Uh, the Clippers, if they don't have everyone fully healthy or fully there, they look beatable. The Bucks, as I said, look beatable. There's just most of these teams that we saw that maybe going into the bubble we thought had a clear chance of at least making it to the finals. I think the last four days, especially with the weird environment, no fans and weird officiating, has shown that there is not a clear favorite anymore. For me, officiating has to be better. <laughs> yes. It's a great takeaway. <laughs> That's number one. And then number two, the Portland Trailblazers, they definitely have to be perfect in this bubble setting in order to them to even really compete for that eighth seed in, out in the, in the West. And the reason why I say that is because the first game that they played, they played exceptionally well, right? Camilo Anthony, he was in the 20s in terms of points. Uh, CJ McCollum had an outstanding game. Damian Lillard, he played well. I even think Nurkic even played well. Then the following game, you had a game where Nurkic played well. Uh, Damian Lillard, he played well, but it wasn't until late, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter, where, you know, it usually becomes Dame time for Lillard. And then CJ, he struggled. He struggled a bit in that game. But then Carmelo, he struggled. He had a big shot late to kind of get the game going against the Boston Celtics, that Blazers Celtics matchup, because they were down by as many as 24 points, like we talked about. But in order for them to really get away into that eighth spot out west, they have to be damn near perfect, Ben. Otherwise, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, Nurkic and Collins coming back was huge for them. Um, it and was. Listen, I love Dame with all my heart. He is one of my favorite NBA players. McCollum's a fun player. They're full of fun players, maybe without Carmelo, but... Carmelo is an important piece to that team, too, because especially we saw that uh, in their last game where Carmelo hit some big shots. Or he hit he was big shots. Some shots. He's yeah. giving Dame a little bit of a rest. And I, that's when Dame is at his best is you give him four or five shots. He goes off for a couple of those. He, he hits a couple threes, a couple floaters, but he needs some plays off. And we saw that being an issue when he didn't have another score with him or when McCollum wasn't there. He didn't have Nurkic where it was just all on him. He could not handle that load all by himself. And so to have Carmelo, to have Nurkic back, to have Zach Collins, to have those extra bodies, I think is going to help him tremendously. And it's a completely different Portland Trailblazers team than what we yep. were used to before yep. the bubble. So exactly, that's going to be huge. Yep, completely different team. Like you said, with Nurkic and Zach Collins being back in the rotation for them alongside Whiteside. And then Melo. Melo is the shot maker in, in, crutch mo- in crutch and crucial moments. He is the shot maker alongside with uh, Damian Lillard. And for and for that situation, he don't have to have the ball in his hands late where he has to jab, 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 like people always say, or dribble, dribble, dribble. It could be a catch-and-shoot situation where with Damian Lillard or CJ, CJ McCullum attacking the basket and look and finding Melo out on the wing or on the corner in the baseline. And he's, he's proven that he's done that in these two games so far, and that's what you like to see. But like I said, they have to be perfect. Now, for the Milwaukee Bucks... You're saying they look beatable, huh? Well, I, I still t- I tell you what. Giannis Antetokounmpo getting 30 and 15-plus rebounds a night and keeping these guys in the games that they've been in. And, like, that game, the Boston uh, – not Boston, but the the Houston Rocket game versus uh, Milwaukee Bucks, that tells me nothing. The only thing that tells me is that Houston Rockets 
can shoot their way in a game and shoot their way out of a game. That's the only thing that tells me. It tells me that James Harden gets too many free throws. And you brought up something with the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of officiating. I don't really have a problem with them calling uh, fouls in favor of Giannis or against Giannis in regards to like block or charge, because those are always up in the air, like toss ups. And you have to like watch the game to really see like how it unfolds. But he doesn't really get in too much foul trouble. Giannis, I think he only maybe had two or three fouls yesterday, but I think it's important that they put a lot of pressure on the other team and get those teams to uh, commit and draw fouls if they want to really, really be a catalyst out coming out of the East. Yeah, and turnovers have been a problem for the Bucs as well, as we saw that against the Rockets, who, if you do want to read a good article about the Rockets' defense, Sam Quinn uh, for CBS Sports, I was reading just a great article he wrote about the Rockets' defense and how they kind of forced teams to play the type of offense that the Rockets want, which is lots of post-ups and kind of getting these offenses out of their rhythm. And the bad defense that is attributed to the Rockets sometimes can work out in their favor. Now, is the type of game that they play on defense and offense going to work in a seven-game series against a team like the Bucs or against the Lakers? Where you have to actually game plan and everything else? Mm -hmm. And teams make adjustments? Maybe not, and we'll see that in the playoffs and the bubble. But I just think the way that the Bucks played in that Rockets game kind of pulled back the curtain, if you will, a little bit on a big issue with them is that their play in crunch time is and has been an issue is they were playing recklessly. They were turning the ball over. Giannis threw a bad pass to Kyle Korver, who was wide open in the corner for a shot <laughs> for a game uh, for a, a shot to go ahead in the game. And that's been an issue for them this whole season, which is wild because they have one of the best guys to have on your team in closing moments, which is Giannis Antetokounmpo. So they're going to have to figure out a good game plan at the end of these games. And and Chris Middleton has to step up in crunch time and things like that. They are very they are probably one of the most well-rounded teams in the NBA. But, man, crunch time is so tough to watch if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan. Yeah, and they need Bledsoe back. Because he hasn't played, he hasn't played in these uh, first two bubble games, and so they definitely need him back towards these playoffs because he's going to be the one with the ball in his hand. If it's not, if it's not going to be Giannis, then it's definitely going to be a Eric Bledsoe or even obviously Chris Middleton. But they definitely need Bledsoe on a defensive side too because he's a pest. You know, he's a defensive pest. He plays very good defense, uh, Eric Bledsoe. So they definitely need him as the uh, season continues. All right, Zach, uh, let's as we keep reviewing some of the stuff that happened this weekend, biggest surprises for you uh, that you have watched so far with teams in the bubble. Well, we both had the same one, one of them. And that's the we Phoenix do. Suns, man. The Phoenix Suns, shout out to uh, Coach Monty Williams. Uh, he's got, he's got, he hasn't really gotten the recognition that he probably deserves. But I'll say this, they're 2-0, and and a lot of people probably thought they were just a throw-in team in the 22 uh, teams out there in the bubble. But they've showed that they're ready to be here and ready to play. Uh, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, they've played well. Even um, – I even say uh, Mikael Bridges, the rookie, he's done very well, too, so far. So, yeah, they're 2-0. and And the Pelicans, Zion, and, every, you know, that's the show. That's what everybody wants to see, man. That's, you know, that's that's been the narrative. You know, that's why all the teams are there is because a team like the New Orleans Pelicans can have a shot at getting the playoffs. And that's got to be must-see TV if you're a Zion Williamson fan, you know. So, they're 0-2 right now as of Monday, recording this podcast, being So that's one of my biggest – those are my biggest surprises so far. 
Are we certain the Pelicans want to make the playoffs? I don't think they do. You know what? They, they're a team that is very comfortable not making the playoffs. It's just, and then you, when you hear them talk about Zion and the minutes restriction, or how much, how much playing time he's gonna get, and or the spurts of the amount of time he's gonna play, I can kind of agree with you and say that like they may not really be trying to make the playoffs. But that's kind of funny because okay, this organization is not trying to make the playoffs, but the NBA is trying to do everything in their power. <laughs> to make sure you do go to the playoffs so they do have Zion Williamson and have those eyes out there on those TVs seeing Zion Williamson perform at a high level and they're just coasting. They're kind of taking it easy, not playing too hard. The last game that they played was a very, very poor performance across the board. Brandon Ingram played he played very poor. He played very, very terrible. He had, you think he shot 35% from the field, 25 and three. He just did not have a very good game. And that's a guy who's uh, competing for that most improved uh, player, player of the year two award. So I don't know, man. It, you, like you, you might be correct on that one, Ben. Pelley yeah, I don't think they not do. be trying to make the playoffs. There's been interviews with David Griffin, their their basketball operations guy, and it's it's almost explicitly said that he doesn't want this team to make the playoffs because they they're playing Zion like 15 minutes a game. They're not playing him at the end of games. And we'll get into this with Jonathan Isaacs, but we saw what happened with Jonathan Isaacs and, and hurting his ACL being out. They would absolutely hate that to happen to Zion, obviously in the bubble in a season where they probably, even if they do make the playoffs, they're not going to go anywhere in the playoffs. So I don't think even though the NBA rolled out the red carpet for New Orleans to have a shot at the playoffs, <laughs> basically holding their hand for everything, New Orleans is saying, no, thank you. We do not want to make the playoffs. We want we want a healthy Zion. We want a full offseason with him to, to get fully healthy, fully acclimated into the system, get that chemistry up between him and Ingram and Ball, and then start that next season with a shot at the playoffs. They, they don't want to do anything right now to have Zion play into more games. Nothing. And it's hilarious because – like all these fans, like you see social media, they want him to play so bad. And uh, I see like my, all my friends, they talk about Zion and how, why doesn't he play more minutes? And what is Alvin Gentry doing? Or like, why don't like, don't they try to go to playoffs? Like what, what's going on? And I'll just be like, listen, David Griffin, he's just coasting. He's chilling. He's yeah. playing it the nonchalant way. He's taking the long run. He wants Zion for 10, 15 years and not three to four to five. He wants to take care of those knees and make sure that everything is going to be done for the long haul with Williamson. And, well, there's nothing really more you can really do about it, really. I mean, no. what can, you can't really make them play him more. I mean, he, Zion, he's expressed his frustration about not playing enough. And even after the first game, like you said, he only played 15 minutes, but he had like 16 points. So he was very effective in the amount of time that he was playing. So, it only makes sense for them to continue playing him more. But like you said, with the way that they're going, it doesn't sound like they really want to even be in the bubble. No. And Zach, I don't know if you've gotten this vibe from me, but I'm a very cautious person with a lot of things. <laughs> so I would be fully on board with the way that the Pelicans are handling this. I would do the same exact thing. It's not worth risking Zion to, to make the, to have the team make the playoffs and get ousted in the first round just to have him get hurt. Possibly shelf him for the rest of the year. Get him ready for next season. Get him fully healthy, fully developed, ready to go. And then you can make a run. I'm, I'm very on board with, with the cautiousness of David Griffin and the Pelicans. For my surprises, as we mentioned, the Suns' hot start. I think that's amazing that they were able to go 2-0. Threaten, I think, is the hashtag the Suns have been using for DeAndre Aiden <laughs> making threes. It's just awful hashtag. But 
Aiden's been making threes for some reason. And if that continues, they're going to be a tough team to, to go against. But the other surprise that I had has been the Mavericks and how God awful they are at finishing up games. We saw it against the Rockets where they gave up their lead and completely pooped the bed in that one and just losing in overtime. And then we saw it again in their second game. And it's so weird how they just cannot finish games. And they have a really good supposed closer in Luka Doncic. They've got Kristaps Porzingis. They have a pretty solid cast around those guys, and they just cannot finish games. Yeah, and see, I'm not going to go out there and just overdo it and say a guy like Luka Doncic is like a choke artist or he isn't clutch or anything like that. No, I wouldn't do that because it's too soon, right? I would only say that because it's too soon to really label him something like that. It's only year two. He hasn't never really even been to the playoffs yet, and so I'm not going to do that. However, I will say this. They have lost 17 games with uh, while having a lead under like five minutes to play. They have done that. And he's and Luka Doncic has struggled in those games, shooting under 30 percent under five minutes left to play in those uh, games, which they which they lose. And so he struggled Luka Doncic in those late games. But I think it just it has to be more of a of a pace situation in terms of how you manage his minutes throughout the course of a whole game. Cause when you watch Luka Doncic, you can see he kind of exerts a lot of energy throughout the course of the game early. Like he gets it going really early offensively, you know, even on defensive side of the ball too, a little bit, but more so offensively, he exerts a lot of energy. You know, he's getting the rebounds. He's put, may push the ball, the ball's in his hand most of the time anyway. And so I think later in games, they have to kind of like switch the gears and they have to put the ball in Christoph Porzingis' hands, the good, the great unicorn, seven foot two, and allow him to do more and create outside of just, you know, stop and pop or uh, pick and pop situations where he's shooting the jump shots. Put him on the block, you know, put Porzingis on the block, put him down low and let him make a play. Yeah, with his ability and his size, he should be easily uh, a guy who gets the line, especially in late game situations. So. I just don't know. They had the lead against the Suns on Sunday for a good chunk of that game. Yeah. Especially in the first half. And then they had a terrible third quarter <laughs> and not a very productive fourth quarter. So <laughs> it seems like a lot of these games in the bubble are going to be close. And the Mavs are going to need to learn how to play in crunch time. You know what's funny, Ben? You won't believe what player was out there, like, really hooping for the Phoenix Suns. You won't believe it. He had some clutch crucial shots in like the third and some of the fourth quarter it was hilarious you won't believe who it was he's a dancer he's an nba dancer he's NBA one of those, dancer who, he's who would that be he's a guy that's well known for dancing in the nba with any use of dancer russell westbrook wow i didn't i don't know this who, who would that be Cameron Payne. you remember Cameron, Cameron Payne? Payne. he i really <laughs> do not want to use this pun but just think of his last name, and that is what he has brought me. When he was on the <laughs> Just, oh my God, it was it was painful watching that guy play, and I don't know how he is still in the league. In the NBA, and he I scored ten points. And I knew you, I knew you wasn't gonna know that he was still in the NBA. <laughs> the fact that he's a dancer is amazing. I mean, good for him. He's he really well should stick to dancing because he's probably better at that than playing basketball. He's well, definitely well known for dancing pregame with Russell Westbrook. But no, he made some big shots in that game uh, against the against the Dallas Mavericks, which helped them uh, beat the Dallas Mavericks, too, by the way. And so yeah. shout out to him and that bench mob for the Phoenix Suns. They've played well so far in these uh, first two games. So shout out to Monty Williams. Yeah, uh, they've they've been they've been fun to watch and. 
we'll see what they do. They, I mean, they have nothing to lose, and, and they've really had kind of an up-and-down season. So we'll see if they do make any noise in the next couple games. But it would be a shock if they did anything that, that came close to, to getting into the playoffs. They are very far behind the Grizzlies, four games behind them. So I, I guess if they keep winning, they got a shot. But it, it's going to be tough. It's just a good developmental time for, for those guys. Uh, yep. Let's go to the second of our big three. The big three. Um, and that is checking out some of these under-the-radar teams that uh, a lot of people haven't given a lot of notice to. Now, one of these, I guess you could say, is has been under the radar so much that people are noticing them and talking about them a lot more. So kind of weirdly, they're not under the radar. Um, but let's start with the Oklahoma City Thunder. That is not that team that I was Woo-hoo! talking about. But let's start with the Thunder. Universally, this podcast is very pro Oklahoma City Thunder. <laughs> we love the young team, especially with Chris Paul on them to, to lead them. But, Zach, do they have a shot at, at doing anything meaningful come playoff time? Is this I a mean, team that you see built good? You know, Ben, I watch the Thunder. You know, we love watching the Thunder. We love to talk about them here on this on this podcast, of course. But it just all depends on matchups. Like, who do they match up against well, you know, in the playoffs, right? So they could probably match up pretty well against the Utah Jazz. I think if they played against the Utah Jazz the first round, they'd give them a run for their money. I think if they ran up against the Houston Rockets, I think they'd give give them a run for their money off the strength of they have Chris Paul and he's going to do everything in his power to try to beat that team who traded him away. And so when you look at it from that perspective, I think those are two teams that could definitely be a t- give them a run for their money, you know, the Thunder. And then you got to look at it like this. Chris Paul, he's been phenomenal all season, right? You know, 18 points, seven assists, seven, six rebounds a game, playing phenomenal, you know, hitting great shots. And he's really been working that mid-range game. I don't know if you really saw uh, the last game, Ben, but Chris Paul and his ability to shoot that free throw jump shot at will off the crossover – forget about it it was undeniable like they could not guard him and he's been crucial in clutch situations all season for the thunder so i can count on chris paul and he's not even a leading scorer we know that right you know shy gilders alexander he's a leading scorer for the team but chris paul man he's been that anchor for the thunder all season so you know it depends on matchups being if they match up with the right team in the playoffs i think they have a shot for at least the yeah, first i round. agree chris paul's been they, they were saying before these games started that he's been the most vocal guy out of every player in the NBA in the bubble and, and how big of a difference that makes when there's no fans. So his leadership has been huge for the Thunder and they're playing the Nuggets pr- pretty much starting right now as we speak at this recording on Monday. And that's going to be if the playoffs started today, that would be the team that they play in their series. And the Nuggets aren't fully healthy, so we're not going to see how good of, of a team they can really be until they're fully healthy. But yeah, a team that I think they match up pretty well with. Um, and, and they really do match up well with, I think a lot of these teams and just because of their speed. And I think because of the talent that they have with Shea Gilders, Alexander and with Chris Paul, even Steven Adams, I think brings such a good dynamic down low for them defensively and, and just being able to run an offense through him at the top of the key with the pick and roll. So they're a team that not a lot of people are talking about because they don't have huge names and they're kind of middle of the pack in the Western conference, but I do think they have a shot to, to kind of make some noise, maybe pull some upsets. Are they going to go to the Western Conference Finals? Most likely not. But do they have a shot at doing that? I, I think they do. I don't think they're totally out of the question to make a big run come playoff time just because of the talent that they have. Now, another team that is kind of going under the radar and probably shouldn't anymore, especially after their showing over the weekend, 
I'm never San Antonio Spurs. I'm never in my life ever in my life as long. And I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. I said, I look, I'm never in my life ever. As long as he's alive and he's coaching the San Antonio Spurs, I will never in my life ever, ever count out Greg Popovich for not making the playoffs. They've made the playoffs like 22 seasons in a row or something like that. So he's all they know is going to the postseason. So I'm never going to count them. out. I know last week on the podcast, I said the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, uh, my bold, pre- bold prediction was that they'll uh, keep the eighth seed. But San Antonio Spurs, they're 2-0 off to a high start with no LaMarcus Aldridge, Ben. That's huge. Yeah, and it's 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 impressive what they've been doing. And when you say Greg Popovich, it really shouldn't be impressive that this team is going to make a run for the playoffs. <laughs> but the fact that they're doing it without arguably their best or, I guess, second best player, if you, if you count DeMar DeRozan as their best player, it's impressive the run that they've been making. Lonnie Walker has really stepped up. DeRozan has been great. So they they have the pieces. They have the bench. Rudy Gay apparently is just an amazing role player now on that team. And that's what the Spurs do. They just bring out the ability and the best ability of some of these guys who could not do it anywhere else in the NBA. And Rudy Gay is able to play his role perfectly with the Spurs. And they have a shot. They're two games behind the Grizzlies. They have just as good of a shot as anyone to make the playoffs. And they went 2-0 over the weekend. So people are need to start talking about them and taking them more seriously because they are a fairly dangerous team, especially come playoff time when you have Greg Popovich. Right. When you got Popovich, anything is possible for the San Antonio Spurs. You mentioned the bench mob, Patty Mills, like you said, Lonnie Walker, Murray. He's done a good job, too, so far. Just an outstanding job by Popovich for getting these guys, you know, off to a good start already. 2-0, no LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, who would have thought, you know, we just thought, okay, the Spurs are just going to be there, going to be in a bubble, maybe win a couple games, and then they'll be out of there. Nothing too major. Not at all. Not not Popovich. He's not going out like a sucker. So that's huge. <laughs> he's not. He's not. You know, and that's huge. No, you're absolutely right. And the last team we wanted to mention, which was that one that I mentioned that is so under the radar that they are now over the radar, I guess, in terms of people <laughs> talking about them. Um, and that is the Toronto Raptors. Now, as of this recording, they are setting up to beat the Miami Heat. It looks like they probably will beat them. Um, there is point seven seconds left as I'm saying this sentence in that game that they're playing. So they are able to most likely beat the Miami heat. They're a team that beat the Lakers. Their defense looks astounding. Pascal Siakam looks as good as ever. OG Ananobi can actually handle the ball. Now he added some really good dribbling and handle maneuvers to his arsenal. This is a team that is setting up again to make a spectacular run in the playoffs, I think. And so few people are talking about it because they don't have Kawhi anymore. And they're really not a big market team, technically, for the NBA. Well, you know who who is talking about him? LeBron James. And you know LeBron what he James. said? You know what he said? That's a great what team. What did he say? He said, that's a great team. They won a championship for a reason. It wasn't solely on Kawhi Leonard. Close quote. Yep, that's what he said. That's <laughs> you what have to said. agree with LeBron. You can't <laughs> disagree with LeBron about basketball. He knows his basketball. I'll give him that. Yeah, so yeah, Toronto, they're 2-0 so far in the bubble. As of the, the, the recording of this podcast, they beat Miami. And Miami's a team who's still kind of really trying to find their way. But remember, I said that bold prediction about Memphis. And they're 0-2, Ben. They haven't won a game yet. So that's kind of scary, yeah. too, when you look at that bottom uh, eighth spot, last spot. Well, you know, they're going to maybe do a play-in tournament, maybe with the ninth seed or whatever. But I hope not. I just hope they just keep it, you know, simple and plain. Eight, eight teams on each side, 
just go let's go right into the playoffs after the eight but after the eight bubble games yeah and they're they are going to be they're a fun team to watch too they just they're fun of full players they're fun of players that play a really fun style of basketball nick nurse is a very good coach so i'm excited to watch the run that they make in the eastern conference because i don't you know you, you look at teams sometimes and you say well this team is going to be spicy P. but yeah serge baka <laughs> and you got you just have a ton of names with, with that comes with them and they have a great bench so I just don't think there's a team that you could realistically say, yes, they are absolutely going to beat the Raptors in a seven game series. They are a team that I think could beat any team in the NBA at this point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, maybe uh, with the with the exception of only one team. And you know what team that probably is. And I'm probably being a little stubborn on this, too, but that's OK. I think you that, are. What, what team okay. is it, though? The Milwaukee Bucks. I'm probably <laughs> being a little stubborn, but I had a conversation with someone and I said, listen. They may have a, a wall over there, you know, Mark Gasol, Serge Ibaka, Spicy P and those boys, even even throw OG in there. You could throw OG Ananobi in there, too. Throw him in sure. there, too. But they do not have Kawhi Leonard. And I strongly believe you still have to have a furious all around player like Kawhi Leonard out east to really beat Giannis four times. To beat Giannis four times in the playoff series, you got to have someone that's not only going to compete extremely well on the defensive side of the ball, but also offensively. We know what Kyle Lowry will do. He will score zero points in a playoff game because he's done it multiple times. <laughs> he will do that. And then you can. So I can't depend now. Now, on the other side, Eric Bledsoe, he'll now we talked about that, too. He'll play extremely poorly, too. Like he'll play poorly too, so they, those two might offset each other. But that'd be a fun series. Yeah, it will be. A, it would be a fun series. It'd be a long series too. I wouldn't just flat out just give it to the Milwaukee Bucks either. It'll probably it would go six or seven games. It'd be a highly touted uh, matchup too. All right, the final of our big three. The big three is focused on apparently one player. In particular, who's that player, Zach, that you wanted to just focus all our ire on him? So, Joel Embiid. Now, he's a phenomenal player. Great player. You know, he could probably be better, as Shaq and Charles always mention when they talk about him. Probably could be better. Yeah, they're not wrong. He should be better. You know, because if Shaq talks about Giannis being, like, you know, the most dominant guy, why isn't it Joel? Or why can't it be Joel Embiid, right? So that's always something that's uh, been in been in my, been on my watch since he's been in the league. But he played exceptionally well his last game. Joel Embiid, 41 points, 21 rebounds, you know, three blocks. So he was plus 21 in the 34 minutes that he played. So he's a huge part of the team, right? Huge reason. But they lost. But huge reason why you know he they were even in the game, relevant, you know, the whole nine. Minus 27 in 14 minutes when he was off the floor. That's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. It is. He uh, he's such a crucial part to that team, but also, I put this in the notes. I I just think he is a bad teammate, and we see we saw him getting into it with Shake Milton at the end of that first quarter, and he he absolutely seems like someone who is okay with getting in the face of his teammates when they're doing something wrong, which I'm okay with, but it doesn't seem like someone who who's okay with presenting good body language or doing or someone who is is willing to take on a deficit all by himself and try to bring the team back by himself and i'm not a huge read into body language person 
But when it comes to Joel Embiid and, and that game that they were playing this weekend, there were points when they were giving up easy scores. He just looked dejected, sulking up the court, lowering his head, and he just didn't look engaged in a lot of the plays. That is a huge issue for me, and that rubs me the wrong way because if this guy is going to be the leader of this team, they're going to need him to be on every single play. And I think that a big reason why they're going to lose some of these games is he just won't be engaged sometimes. I don't see. I don't know, Ben, because he played so well while he, he was on the floor. But then when he sat, they played so poorly. And then you got a guy like Al Horford, money man, and you paid all that money, $100 million plus, to play exceptionally well when he's off the floor, that being Joel Embiid, and you're minus 26 on Saturday. So that means you're just giving me nothing on both sides of the ball if you're minus 26 in terms of plus minus. And then you got Simmons, who we know. We know what that's like. It's <laughs> not going to shoot or he, he no. can't shoot, won't shoot. We don't know what you want to call it, depending on the day. Uh, he's, he's playing power forward, point forward, whatever position they want to label it. But he's still occupying that same space that he did prior. So that limits the amount of space that Joel LMB or Al Horford can potentially have. And they need shooters still. They still need shooters. The 76ers really miss J.J. Redick. Like, they do. It's, it's time for people to start saying that. Like, they miss J.J. Redick's shooting ability. Like, they, they do. And Korkmaz, Korkmaz is a poor man's J.J. Redick. He's not going to be as consistent <laughs> at the three-point shot as J.J. is. And you're right. Horford is – I think he's a lost cause at this point for them. He's, he's not really a help, especially if you're going to put Simmons at the four and then beat at the five. Horford's kind of the weird odd man out yeah, there. You, you just yeah, don't need weird. him. Exactly. You need more of a pure shooter. Horford can be a three-point shooter, but he's not consistent. Nor is that really how he prefers most of the time to play. Yeah, exactly. You need that pure shooter. And so this isn't all Embiid's fault, and the numbers don't lie. I mean, he the team better when he's on the court. But there are certainly times where it seems to me that he drags them further down than they need to be. And maybe they're just a poorly built team. They need a better pure point guard. I mean, Shake Milton is good, but I just don't know if he's going to be the guy that's going to lead them to an NBA championship at the point guard position. So the, the Sixers are such a question mark for me. They lost to the Pacers, who didn't have Malcolm Brogdon. They had Oladipo, um, but he's on a minutes restriction. So that's a team they should not be losing to. I just think they're such a question mark that I, I cannot trust them to do much in the playoffs. Yeah, I, me neither. And, you know, Ben Simmons, until he just all of a sudden just it clicks for him. OK, I got to spread the floor out. Got to give Embiid some space. I got to shoot more shots. We'll be OK if you shoot mid range shots. Just shoot a shot like just shoot the ball. That's all we want you to do. I swear that's all we want you to do. Just show the defense something. Give them something. I mean, look at Giannis. Like, honestly, I don't care if Giannis miss jump shots. I don't care. Why? Because he at least takes them. You miss 100% of the shots you do not take. We've heard that saying all our lives as basketball fans. Like, you will miss 100% of the shots you do not take. And yes. he does, and Ben Simmons does not take enough jump shots. Giannis no. is out here winning MVP. When Ben Simmons came into the league, he was being compared to an MVP in LeBron James. And so when you have that, you're supposed to be able to perform and get better year after year. That's what Giannis did. And it's like we're pulling teeth to try to get that out of Ben Simmons because we kind of see it. Like, we can kind of see the full potential you can really be. You just have this one part of your game that you just refuse to apply when it matters the most. As someone who has put money on the 76ers, he is 
the most frustrating player to watch <laughs> the most frustrating player. And you're absolutely right. He, his, his ceiling was so high and it just seems like he's plateaued a bit where sure he hit, he hit what two, one, one, two, three pointers in the exhibition games. Lottie freaking da for him. Like good for you. You hit one three pointer in an exhibition game. You got to try to shoot some three pointers in regular season games. You got to try to get your shot going because teams and defenses in the NBA are incredibly smart and they are. And some of them have figured out a way to stop Ben Simmons from doing the only thing that he's able to do. So he needs to change his repertoire. If the, if the 76ers want to do anything at all, um, should we go to NBA Twitter? Let's see what uh, NBA Twitter is talking about this week. Because there's been some stuff that NBA Twitter has yeah. had fun with. What it do, baby? Yeah. Which, which is always feel? fun. How do you feel about the virtual fans, man? You see Paul yeah. Pierce out there? <laughs> Listen, at first I didn't like the virtual fans. And then the way that the, that the camera is set up on the court and the way that they fit into kind of that shot of the normal shot that you see of a basketball game. Yeah. It kind of works. works. No, it works. Like, see, I ain't really got no problem with it. I was talking to a few people who think it's kind of weird. I'm like, listen, you can't address the obvious, okay? It's pretty obvious there's no fans, and so it's going to be weird. It's going to look weird. Somebody might get dunked on, and there's no crowd reaction. So there's, like, not really a good way to really react to something spectacular or anything because there's no one around or there's not, like, a huge uplift from a crowd or anything like that. But check this out. The NBA is doing their due diligence right now. They're trying to give us some some uh some sound, <laughs> some sound effects. <laughs> They're trying to give us some crowd noise. They're doing the best that they can. They put some fans out there. You know, if the teams are at home, they got some home fans here showing on the main big part of the screen and then the away fans get a little small section. So they're doing the best that they can, right? Being with the virtual fans, I would say. I would say so, too. And listen, it's fun to see the celebrities. It's fun to see Paul Pierce on there, like you said. <laughs> it's fun to see something like Chris Paul had his kids on there. Yeah, I, I think that's son. awesome. So I, I think that it's a good idea. They executed about as well as they could. And you get some really stupid shots of these guys staring at a computer <laughs> screen, glitching in and out. It's very dystopian to kind of see that happening. But it's still kind of funny to just see these people. I, my favorite part of the whole thing is seeing the empty seats, the empty virtual yeah, seats. Yeah, it'd be like that is super hysterical. Three, three seats that are empty. Like, why are there empty seats yeah. for virtual games? <laughs> I think it would be very, very funny if a team that was losing really big in the fourth quarter, oh, you just start to see that team. Like, like, yeah, just, right there. <laughs> just empty out the seats, make them empty out by the end of the game. The, the, the fans are just fed up with the team losing. I think that would be extremely funny. If they did that and uh, it would just add to the whole ambiance of the whole thing, but it it just provides, it gives the game a little bit more of an outside perspective where you see, you know, people are watching this thing. It's not just this, you know, for lack of a better term, this thing happening inside of a bubble. It's people are actually watching the game and, and you could see the people watching the game. I think it adds something. Now, the other one is fake crowd noise. I, I love do, it though. I could do a little bit without the fake crowd noise. I, think oh, it's I, I like it. I like it. I like the fake crowd noise because it is something. It's better than nothing. It is, it is like it's for the players. Like, okay, because so, like yesterday I was watching a game and it seemed like some games the noise is louder than other games, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if you have you paid attention to that, Ben? Like, where, yes. where like some games the noise, the noise level is a little higher than other games. And it's kind of crazy. Like, because the Rocket Bucks game. Like that game was a little loud, and you would have thought like fans was actually at that game at a, at like certain points of the game, which like the crowd was a little loud, where like they were louder than Mike Breen and and Mark Jackson's. Like, how is that even possible? There's nobody here but you know yeah. players and coaches. 
the media members. And so, like, it was crazy to really see, like, at some points, like, the fake crowd noise is a little high. Yeah, they cranked it up. We need we need booing is what we need. We need. Yeah, there's no booing. We, they, yeah, there's booing. no booing. We need hecklers. I think that would be a good addition. You get some virtual hecklers heckling the officials, heckling the players. I think that would be a very fun to see. Uh, but they do go. I just think they go a little bit overboard with the crowd noise, especially with on some of those <laughs> national TV broadcasts where it's it almost is legitimately hard to hear Mike Breen and and the play by play guys talk. And you're just like, listen, you you don't need to do this. There is no crowd there. <laughs> you, you don't need to pipe in this crowd noise at 110 percent. Now, what I would love to see is uh, maybe like a second channel where they have no crowd noise and they only have ambient sound and the players talking to each other because listen, a lot of people who last week, yeah, <laughs> there's going to be rated mature audience. Exactly. <laughs> and we saw it a lot with the Jordan documentary where it was one channel had the explicit version and the other channel bleeped everything out. There needs to be a channel that we can watch these games on unedited no bleeping, no turning the volume off for swear words, just to hear just what these players are saying. Because I think it is, it'd be super interesting to hear like LeBron directing traffic for, for his players or someone in the huddle or someone from the sidelines screaming instructions. The coach is telling players what to do. As you said last week, that would be so fun and so interesting. We just need someone to show it unedited, no bleep button, nothing. So with guys stepping out of bounds, Mike Bream brought this up. And that was, and it seems, I thought it was true. And it seems pretty obvious that guys are stepping out of bounds on that near side sideline so much. And it seems like a lot more because there aren't any, there aren't any seats. There aren't any courtside seats. So I think the players just don't have like a point of reference to where they are. I'm with Jeff. Stepping out of bounds. I'm with Jeff. I'm with Jeff Van Gunny. Mm-mm. No, you they don't need think to that? Pay more oh, wow. <laughs> you need to pay more attention to where their feet are at. No, I saw that, and they were they were going back and forth, and I was laughing because I it happened, like, right as Mike Greenberg had said it. And somebody was on the baseline, and they shot a jumper, and he was out of bounds, so it didn't count. And, and uh, Jeff was like, listen, you better pay attention to where you are on the court. And then Mark Jackson said they don't do that in practice. So if you don't do that in practice, you shouldn't be doing that in the game. So no, they uh they denied that real quick and it was it was pretty funny. I I'm I'm with Mike Breen on this one totally. I, I think <laughs> the players are so out of place with everything that I just think that they're just making these small mistakes and I think it'll work and I think it'll eventually the players will figure it out, but right now they're struggling. They're stepping out of bounds, some turnovers. Yeah, they are. And it's um ill-advised turnovers. And it's all a part of, like you said, getting adjust to the new the new places where you're playing basketball at. And that's okay, I guess, but you still should know where you're at on the basketball court at all times, so you're not stepping out out of bounds like my boy Mark Jackson and Van Gundy said. <laughs> very, very, very true. The one other thing, NBA Twitter, Jonathan Isaac has been all over NBA Twitter. He Man. tore his ACL, very unfortunate. And then before that, people were talking about him because he was standing when everyone else was kneeling during the national anthem. So he has been on the Twitter spotlight all weekend long. Yeah, his whole situation is just ironic, right? Like, isn't it just ironic? Like, it's like I don't even know if ironic's the word I'm really looking for, but it's just super ironic that he chose to stand during the national anthem, which, you know, at this time, it's neither here or there at this point. 
whichever one you decide to do. And he already illustrated about how he still supports Black Lives Matter, you know, despite, you know, standing during the national anthem, whatever. But he stands and then tears his ACL in his knee. And he does not kneel to the national anthem. That's ironic, man. I don't, listen, that's, I don't know what you call it, but I'm just going to say it's ironic that 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 transpired I, like what do you think Ben? like does that seem just ironic to you yeah it's definitely weird it's definitely you know people start talking about him not kneeling and talking about and digging into his twitter past and who he follows and what likes he's had and then not only that happens but then he ends up and he gets hurt and he is out for the rest of the season it's just the weirdest timing just very unfortunate weird. circumstances for him and just bizarre that a, I mean, a lot of people were just like, this is wild. This is wild this happened. Like, yeah, it's like, it's just so crazy. Like, it's so hard to even, like, dissect through. Because, like, you stand in the national anthem, and that can be controversial during a time like this. So, okay, whatever. So, you know, people are probably going to talk about it, ask you questions. Okay. Yeah. And then you tear your ACL. Like, so you don't, so you, you didn't kneel, and then you tear your ACL in your knee. Like yep. in your knee, like that's crazy. Like that's a lot crazy. of people see the irony uh, or just something in that for sure. Um, let's do uh, overreaction. Or and all, and all, Memphis. Memphis will hold on to the eighth seed despite starting 0 two. Is that an overreaction? I think they will. I, I, I think don't. So. I, I don't think that's an overreaction. I think that they they will hold on to that AC. Now we we talked about how good the Spurs were and how good they can be and how dangerous yeah. they are as a team to make the playoffs. But a lot, a lot needs to happen for the Spurs to either get that eighth spot or at least have a chance to get into that eighth spot if the season ends with the Grizzlies still in eighth. And even even then, the Spurs could have been taken over by another team in that ninth spot who would then need to play the Grizzlies twice and win both of those games to be able to get that eighth spot. So I think they are pretty safe. Yeah, they, they may be safe, but I'll tell you like this. They better stop losing. They better stop losing. And I, I agree. Think, I think they play today on this Monday of this recording, so they better win today or they may be in serious trouble because I believe that their games are only going to get tougher as the Pelican games only get easier. Now, that's not to say that, you know, Zion is going to, you know, play more minutes or anything like that, but the road just gets easier for the Pelicans as the Grizzlies season gets a little tougher down the road. So that's something to pay attention to. And like you said, Spurs, hey, they're 2-0. You know, you got to kind of take them serious. Phoenix Suns, hey, they're 2-0. I mean, the Pelicans and the, and the Grizzlies are teams we probably would have expected to be at least 1-1. Or two and zero over the course of this week. Well, one and one we'll say because we predicted right here on the podcast that the Utah Jazz would beat the New Orleans Pelicans in the NBA opener, and they mm. did. So shout out to us. We'll give ourselves a little round of applause for that. Yeah, gotta so, pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> you know, Lakers took care of business, and we said that would happen too. So you know, two shout out to that. Yeah, we're two and zero. So you may want to pay attention to our picks later on in this podcast to see what we got, but. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Memphis 0-2, Phoenix 2-0, Spurs 2-0, Pelicans 0-2. So those four teams fighting for that eighth spot, that's something to pay attention to as we move forward. It is. And now, Zach, it is time to bring back one of our more favorite segments that we haven't had a chance to bring back in a couple weeks, a couple episodes. And that is our one of our favorites, and that's Stat of the Week. Uh-huh. One, two, three, four, five, six. 
Oh yeah, they haven't heard Sesame Street in a long time. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So what's yeah, the uh, what's the stat of the week from our boys at Sesame Street? Ooh, hey, this one right here. This one holds a lot of weight right here. And you, I don't even think you understand where I'm going with this one being. I know you don't. Like, I know for sure you don't. Because you don't know that this person right here with this career high, he matches the same career high as another player who talked trash about him this season. But we're going to get into that. 53 is the stat of the week. 53 points from Mr. TJ Warren of the Indiana Pacers as they were able to take care of business in that contest as well, beating the Philadelphia 76ers with his career high 53 points. What a stellar performance by TJ Warren. Yeah, he's the future Jimmy Butler 2.0. (laughs) He's the future better version of Jimmy Butler if he continues to play like this. And he showed cash considerations that he's much better than cash considerations because that is what he got traded for from the Pacers or to the Pacers was for cash considerations. This guy, and I have friends who are from Indy, and I have a friend specifically who's a very big Pacers fan who has been hyping up TJ Warren for a long time. And he has shown, especially before they stopped the season in February and March, and now in the bubble, he is growing by the minute as a player. And he's just he's just a really well-rounded player who can only grow, honestly, especially with how young he is. He is going to be very special for a very long time. Like you said, he was way more worth than that uh, cash considerations they traded him for. And he dropped those nine threes, a franchise time record for the Indiana Pacers. He even overcame them, overcome a 10-point deficit in the fourth quarter while dropping his 53 points. So he had 53 points that mattered. You know, they all those points mattered in this contest against the Philadelphia 76ers. So shout out to TJ Warren dropping his 53. His career high, the same career high amount of points as Mr. Jimmy Butler. <laughs> now, you know, being Jimmy Butler came out and called TJ Warren trash. Well, check this out, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets. He has the same career high amount of points as you do on his <laughs> career as you, sir. 53 points. Yours is 53 points. Now that's all I'm saying. I'm throwing my hands in the air. <laughs> no, I listen, he's he's a fun player to watch. And obviously, I, I as a Bulls fan, don't like the Pacers, but they have just done a tremendous job at getting talent to that team. And, and TJ Warren is a huge piece of that team going forward and was a huge get for them for such little return that it is impressive the way they have been able to get him in that no one else saw the talent in TJ Warren. So he... He's going to be fun to watch. He couldn't miss against the 76ers. And he, I think he's going to be the next type of Jimmy Butler player, but probably better than what Jimmy Butler is right now. Yeah, he's definitely younger. Only gets like, what, maybe 14 shots attempts a game, gets nearly 20 points a game. I mean, yep. that whole starting lineup, I think they all rotate around 14 shots a game. So that's a collective unit over there in Indiana with, obviously, Sabonis. And you got Michael Brogdon, who we love. And, of course, Victor Oladipo. So, yeah, that's a team stouted. And I don't really – we don't really give them enough credit or talk about them too much for what they can do in the playoffs. But I won't be surprised if they give teams a hunt for their money come postseason. Yeah, they're they're going to be a, certainly a slightly dangerous team um, if they have everyone healthy. That's that's for sure. All right, don't, to wrap up the podcast, picks for week two games. Now, I guess you could pick a winner for some of these games, but 
Let's pick one game that we that, that I think or that we think is going to be important in this next week ahead. For me, it's going to be the Houston Rockets Los Angeles Lakers game on Thursday night. Um, and I think that's going to be important because these are going to be two teams that are going to have realistic visions of getting to the Western Conference finals and even getting to the finals. And it's going to be fun to watch both of these teams and how their different styles affect each other with the Rockets playing small ball and seeing how the Lakers face up against their small ball and then seeing how the Rockets can defend the one-two punch of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Ooh, you know what? That game is a tough game. And I'm going to tell you why, Ben, because you probably haven't looked at the schedule, huh? And see that the Lakers play the night before that game, too. So they have to play Wednesday night. And then turn around and play Thursday. Now they're playing against two two pretty good teams too. Now they have two playoff teams back to back. They have the Oklahoma City Thunder team we like very well, and then they have to play again the Houston Rockets the night after. Those are two. Those are two games, and they're, they play today. So that's three games in yep. four days that they have to play. Uh, that's gonna be tough for them. I think they win it today. Whoever the opponent is, I don't even think it matters. But I think they win today. But those next two games, particularly being a back-to-back, that Houston Rocket game, a team that loves to get up and down the floor, man, I don't know, man. That's tough. I I would say the Lakers win this game, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Rockets won off the strength yeah. of how their style of play and the fact that the Lakers have to come off a back-to-back. And that right, and that was going to be the side note where three games in four days, that's the last leg of that run. So we may see LeBron and AD either play restricted minutes or just not play at all, which I wouldn't blame Frank Vogel and the Lakers for doing. But if everyone is healthy and everyone does play, I think it could be one of the more fun games of the week. Now, again, if they don't play, disregard everything I said about that, because (laughs) it it would make sense for LeBron and Anthony Davis to sit out after a run of three games in four days. But if they do play, I think it is probably one of the more interesting games we'll see this week. And for me, the game of the week for me that I think that everybody should probably pay attention to is the Denver Nugget Portland Trailblazer game. Now, why 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 should we pay attention to that game? Because we need to see what's going to happen with the Denver Nuggets and see if they're going to continue to improve and get better. Because I know they play because they're they're going to play a second of a back to back. I'm really paying attention to the teams that are playing back to backs because Denver Nuggets they play Wednesday, but then they play again on Thursday. Against the Portland Trailblazers, a team that's like I said, that has to be perfect. So that's a team that I know that's fighting for that eighth spot, and Denver Nuggets team that's still trying to find their way in the bubble so far, and they have injuries. So that's an interesting matchup for me that I'm going to pay attention to, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Portland Trailblazers win this game in a tight one. Yeah, listen, a lot of good games in the bubble, and and I think that's something that's been talked about a little bit is a lot of these games, there have been some blowouts, but for the most part, the games have been fun. They've been competitive. No one is trying to tank yet. Um, But we will probably see later on towards the end of these eight game stretches that we'll see some of the teams like the Bucks or the Lakers or the Clippers start to rest some of their players because they are in the playoffs. So they don't need to play every player, every minute of every game before the playoffs start. So we may see some of these bigger teams resting players down the stretch, but for now the games are fun. They're competitive. And they've got a lot of star power. So, it, I mean, it's been a fun first four and a half, five days. And we still have another week and a half of this to go. Yes, we do. There's been roughly 19 to 20 games so far of the NBA bubble. Poor officiating, but we'll get through it. This concludes this edition of the Points in the Paint podcast with Ben Wittenstein and Zach Badgerhouse. Make sure you follow us both on Twitter, on our Twitter handles. And, of course, follow Sam's. 
for all your latest and up-to-date breaking NBA news, of course. Follow Stadium on Twitter for all your latest sports updates across the board. Make sure you also listen to Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder, dropping some great podcast content every week, particularly on Thursday. Make sure you subscribe and rate and review us and give us those five stars on Points in the Paint podcast. And we will see you guys next week.